In a famous sermon on grace, Paul Tillich wrote that sin and grace are strange words, but they are not strange things. We find them whenever we look into ourselves with searching eyes and longing hearts. They determine our life. They abound within us and in all life. May grace more abound within us. For my own part, I've always felt uneasy about labels. They've never really felt liberating, merely confining. To draw upon one of my favorite philosophical curmudgeons, Jean-Paul Sartre, labels, to me, always seem to coldly devour individuality and suppress freedom. At times, it seems that others have defined who I am and what I can do before I've managed to understand who I am on my own terms. Yet at the end of the day, and regardless of my aversion to said labels, I live my life as a queer person. This is not something I can escape, nor something I should ever seek to nullify, regardless of how the world typically treats such people. As a queer person from a theologically conservative background, and a person once entirely committed to the salvific message of Jesus Christ with her whole heart, the tension between one's religious identity and their sexual and gender identity is a topic of increasing significance to me. For this reason, unanswered questions linger. Is the only queer Christian story an Exodus account? Can LGBTQ-identified persons reclaim faith in the midst of sustained religious trauma and persecution? What can queer folks who still feel an affinity towards the Christian message do in the face of rejection? J.J. Warren and I discuss this and so much more in relation to the theology of Paul Tillich in this week's episode of Tillich Today. Reverend J.J. Warren is a researcher, a public theologian, a speaker, an advocate, and the author of Reclaiming Church, A Call to Action for Religious Rejects. In 2023, J.J. was commissioned as a provisional member in the New England Conference of the United Methodist Church, and he currently serves as the Executive Director of Young Prophets Collective. Now J.J. travels the world preaching a message of LGBTQ plus affirmation and intersectional liberation. He's an amazing young person with amazing things to say, Welcome, J.J. Warren, to Till It Today, soon to be the number one podcast in the world, hopefully, with any luck. Yeah, we're going to make it that. We're going to bring Till It back. So first question, I'd like you to introduce yourself a bit and specifically maybe introduce what led you to studying Tillich. Yeah, um, and thank you. Thanks for having me on, Taylor. It's so good to be virtually back in Boston with you. Um, we did our we were in BU at the same time, roughly, as you were starting your PhD and I was finishing my MDiv. So it's great to be reunited um, from across the ocean. Yeah, and- COVID hit though, so we didn't actually ever meet until after yes. we were well after you were gone. So yeah, but yeah. continue. <laughs> Yes. So now we've we've crossed an ocean to see each other and and it's really great. Um so yeah, I I am a pastor in the United Methodist Church, um a queer clergy person and a 
uh, researcher on Paul Tillich at the University of Vienna in Austria. Now Australia, half my family still thinks I live in Australia. So no, it's much colder. Um, and yeah, Tillich, um, you know, as I was going through my MDiv, I was in a unique position where I had just come from the United Methodist Church's largest global gathering, uh, where we make decisions for how we ought to live as the church. Um, and I made a speech that um, caught attention of a lot of global news outlets and gave me a platform that I wasn't used to, that I was still learning um, how to live into. And in the midst of that, I wrote a book called Reclaiming Church, which was kind of my deconstruction journey about the ways that the church had harmed LGBTQIA plus people to say, how can we unpack um, the harmful the ways that the church has been used to harm queer people and reclaim the church as this liberative community um, and this communal essence um, and identity. And so Tillich kind of came in as I was finishing that up and I started to realize, you know, I need language now um, for what this reconstruction could look like after I've deconstructed. And I don't have that language. I don't know what that could be. And it was at that time that I started to take a class uh, with Wesley Wildman there at BU um, and was introduced to Paul Tillich's theology for the first time. And finally, with Tillich, it seemed like, yeah, there's there's language here to describe faith in a way that resonates with me, um, that frees me from some of the constraints of the ways that I was taught to think about God in my childhood. Yeah, funny enough, this is the third consecutive uh, episode where Wesley Wildman has come into the conversation. This is soon to be the Wesley Today podcast. <laughs> uh, the 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 influence of that man. Uh, also, my mm. dissertation advisor, as I've said previously. But yeah, JJ, that's a, a quite a remarkable journey. And you know, as a queer person who also struggled with how to fit into the church, um, whether to pick up on this exodus story that most queer people who were raised in church, you know, adopt. Um, I think what you're doing is really important, uh, really valuable, really tremendous. Um, and I think your description of how you found Tillich leads us well into the next question, which is how can Tillich's approach to religious language specifically and religious symbolism, how could that be used to articulate and understand queer experiences, right? Um, inside mm. the church, but also maybe outside of just the Christian context. Do you see a utility to that? Yeah, definitely. And I think I love that you, you know, you talk about his language and his, the way that his language and its relationship to symbols can open us up uh, to new ways of thinking. And in particular, Tillich's idea of symbols really drew me in at first because I, I studied creative writing in undergrad. And so I love a good story and I, I love the power of a narrative and of symbols um, to unite people, um, to unite us for a common purpose. Um, and then also the critique uh, of, okay, when do our symbols become idols uh, and, and when do they need to be challenged? And I think that Tillich, his thought brings these 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 two powerful parts of community life, symbols and critique, um, and, and he lays them out really clearly. So for 
for a lot of us, you know, as I was starting to read uh, the systematic theology, I thought like, oh God, this is so dense. Uh, this is German writing um, and, you know, not not the best English and it's so difficult. Um, but then, you know, you really, it really can be, at least for me, boiled down to that, oh yeah, symbols matter um, and the ways that we think about them in community matters. And so I I particularly resonated with um, Tillich says towards the end of volume one that um, symbols grow and die in relationship to the communities that claim them. And so to me, it, it really resonated as I was going through this deconstruction and reconstruction process. Okay, the symbol of this heteronormative, you know, um, punitive God of my childhood um, was dying. And, and I was seeing that in my own journey, but in the lives of, you know, the people that I was ministering to and with, um, and seeing that there was a need for this God to die, that this God had done a lot of harm in the world. Um, and symbols can grow. They, they have this, this openness where they can change if communities are willing to in, engage in that creative process. And so, yeah, till it till it kind of gave me that frame to to get into that a little bit, and I didn't I, I haven't answered the question fully, but if if there's stuff from that that you want to pull out, and then we can get back into it. No, I think that's really great, and I also love Tillich's language around symbolism, particularly because I think he puts a certain amount of responsibility on us as well. You know, like that we mm. have a relationship to that symbol, that the symbol points beyond itself to something, but it's up to us to make sure that we don't distort what that initial message was, to keep pushing ourselves mm -hmm. to reinterpret that, right? So you talked a lot about, you know, the, the God you knew as a, as a young person in, in the church had to die, and I think that resonates a lot with my own journey as well, that um, God had to die in some capacity, but the, the death of God in that sense was just the first step, right? And I think Tillich invites mm. us to push ourselves to move beyond uh, that trauma and that abandonment that we might feel in that moment. And, and re, as you say, reclaim something, right? Reclaim what that message was, what that symbol pointed to beyond just mm. the pain that we might feel. Um, so I love that answer. And I love, uh, your, I guess just your general engagement with this material. Very, um, uplifting. I think. And, this, and I, oh, I like that you, you know, you, that, that pointing beyond has, yes. And this idea that, you know, we we're pointing beyond and we don't say to what exactly, you know, we're, we're pointing to some depth that can't be defined. And that like mystical openness, um, has been really important to me as I, as I think about faith. Uh, and that's been something that I've really appreciated from Tillich. Um, and, and part of helping that God of childhood to die was saying, just because I believe in God differently now than I did before, doesn't mean I no longer believe in God, that there are different models of God uh, and that Tillich is offering one that resonates more with me, makes more logical sense to me now that God doesn't have to be a being in the sky directing all my actions and sending me to hell. God can be that ground of being, that that unity that defies yeah, that that is the ground of existence. And so that that also uh, was really helpful to me as I was going through my own faith journey. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I talked to Dr. Neville about this recently, about, you know, Tillich's mm. conception of God. And it's in some ways, you know, there's there's a grieving process that you have to grieve this supreme benevolence, this, mm. this guiding figure, mm. this moral authority. Uh, and at the same time, there's a new openness. There's a new uh, invitation to see reality in a completely different way. And, and in some ways, in a more complex and a deeper way to see as Tillich says, the God beyond God, the God beyond, you know, supernaturalism. Mm. Um so, like, what is, I may be putting you on the spot here, but what does that new God mean to you? Like, how how has that conception changed, and how does that help you live into your ministry differently? Yeah, um, very great and very, yeah, uh, complex question. Uh, you know, practically, so I run a, I pastor a virtual church. Uh, we meet online from all over the world in this quirky little platform called Gather, um, where we have little virtual avatars. And as we design worship every week, it's it's our our theology is intentionally more open. And some of that I credit to Tillich. So a lot of the folks that come to our church are most of them were all, it's intentionally for uh, queer and trans folks. Um, and most of us coming from experiences of church harm. And so being able to talk about God in a way that that isn't agential, that isn't someone who is who is constantly looking over our shoulders, but but is that deeper unity of being that calls us deeper into ourselves. And in some ways, you know, I, I don't think I necessarily see this in Tillich, but something that I can draw from him um, and maybe put in with a little Wesleyan emphasis um, is is that that deeper unity um, calls us to be to to embrace our interconnections more intentionally. And so for us as a queer intersectional community, it's it's this call to uh, deeper solidarity with one another to say, you know, there is, we believe, at least generally speaking in this community, we have many different beliefs, but we can believe in this, this unity of being that calls us to be in real solidarity with one another. Yeah, I, I love that. And I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think in my journey with, you know, with my own struggles, with my queer identity and with my place in the world, I, I think what has called to me most is, is Tillich's emphasis that the God of Christianity, the ground of being, uh, is not just a nebulous reality that undergirds mm -hmm. creation. It's a it's a call to acceptance and wholeness. And like, what do, mm -hmm. what do you know? Queer people need more than this affirmation that you are accepted and you are loved, and there is a way to be whole, even though the world sees you wrongly as broken. So your answer is very beautiful. Uh, thank you. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe we can get more into the details of your work. So you do queer theology in relation to Tillich. Um, so for people who aren't familiar with what that is, maybe could you define queer theology in your own terms and say how Tillich's principles, how his theology provides a foundation for uh, thinking about queer theology? Yeah, this is something that sometimes in the United Methodist Church, gets me in trouble. The conservatives like to take these one-liners of, oh yeah, they're, they want to be a queer church. To which I say, hell yes. Um, because, you know, Methodism, my the tradition that I come from, right, is a method. It's a way of doing something. And so queering isn't this scary or, you know, totally incomprehensible 
academic term. It's a method. It's a way of doing something. And so specifically queering um, is the method of challenging binaries and norms to open up the space between and beyond categories. In particular, queering does that with um, gender identity to say that there are folks who are don't identify within the masculine, feminine, binary gender identity. There are bodies that are born with multiple different sexual organs that call into question the stability of these categories altogether. And so queering is that method of saying, we are challenging these binary categories and we are opening up our conception of the human and finding more space beyond in between. And so queer theology, um, does that in the theological realm um, to say specifically if you, want, you can think about um, Patrick Chang is probably one of the most famous queer theologians um, in his book Radical Love an introduction to queer theology and in that book Chang says that Christian theology is fundamentally queer that it it is challenging these binaries, that there is something about the Christian faith that moves us beyond these categories. Um, and and he, he really um, investigates that in that book in a very accessible way that I'd recommend. But so, yeah, simply put, I, I would say that queer theology is that that challenging of binaries. It's it is Christian theology in some ways um, that that we we no longer in the symbol of Jesus as the Christ. We no longer have a, a strictly divine, strictly human. We queer and transgress uh, these realities. And queer theology, importantly, and sometimes this gets left out, I think, is it centers the voices of the sexually marginalized within the biblical texts and within the biblical narratives. Um, the sexually marginalized and the marginalized in general. And so queer theology specifically queer exegesis, brings in those characters like David and Jonathan um, and sees the fullness of their relationship um, and Ruth and Naomi. And it, it draws attention to Hagar and um, her plight. And so queer theology is a way of giving voice to those who have been silenced by tradition, in my understanding. No, lo love that answer. That's such a good introduction, especially for people who are unfamiliar with it. And, you know, just the queer terminology has been so demonized lately, right? Particularly mm. as it concerns um, trans people uh, recently mm. in a very uh, big way. Um, that something about the challenge to the binary scares people and makes them deeply uncomfortable and they react with just undue hostility. But thinking about that mm. and thinking about your answer, you know, it's always been very almost paradoxical to me how um, Christian communities can identify a God that's infinitely good and infinitely complex and that surpasses all human understanding is the Alpha mm. and the Omega, right? The, the light that scatters across the whole universe. Come on, preach, preacher. Right? Okay, yes. And then in that yes. same breath, they say, okay, but some love, we, we don't like that, right? Or you can't wear a dress because we've assigned you this identity and we've said that you can't do this, right? It's wrong. Um, you will be punished for that. It, it's too transgressive. So it, it's, and I think you're right to point to the, the character and the in the person of Jesus Christ in that, that, that what is Jesus but a challenge to binary thinking? Um, mm. So very, very brilliant there. Now, maybe, and this is some of your research that I've heard that maybe others haven't had the privilege of hearing, 
Um, but Tillich, as we know, is very big into something called ontology, right? Which is, in simple terms, it's the study of being, right? What is being? This kind of deep philosophical question that people have been thinking about since Plato. So can you elaborate on how ontology, um, particularly in the context of Tillich, might help inform our understanding of gender and sexual diversity? Yeah, yes. And I'm I'm so grateful for your succinct and accessible definition of ontology of like, yes, it it doesn't have to be this scary thing. Like it basically is the study of being. And what does that mean? And, you know, like you just said, and how can we believe in a God who surpasses all understanding and then condemn people for wearing a dress? To me, that's the relationship um, that I'm able to explore in Tillich's work to say, how can we limit being, human beings, to two binary categories if we have this ground of being that transgresses and transcends these categories? So instead of looking at someone who seems to present masculine um, or is, you know, is wearing a dress and has a beard. Instead of looking at them and saying, oh, well, they're not fitting in these categories. What if we could look and say, you know, ah, yes, like that is a being. Um, they are expressing the fullness of themselves. And we are all united in this ground of being. Um, and so that's a little bit of where Tillich's theology, I find um, I'm starting to explore in my PhD work. Um, of how could we, what would it mean to say that the ground of being is queer, that there is an ontological queerness, that there is something about being itself that transcends the confines and categories of heteronormativity. And for so long, um, you know, LGBTQI plus people have been rendered irrelevant or um, there's a fancy academic word for this that I'm forgetting right now, unspeakable. Um, there's no name to say that we exist. Um, and so if we could say that we all participate in this ground of being that is beyond the heteronormative binary categories, then it doesn't, it, what I hope is that it, it draws us all closer into a deeper unity to say, ah, yeah, they're actually not that different from me. We're actually all participating in this same queer ground. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right, uh, honestly. And I, I love that you keep coming back to unity because I think not only is that a central you know component of Tillich's theology, but you know, as a theology PhD student, it's also just a central component of the Christian message, right? That we're mm. searching mm. towards something. We're not just here. We're here to do something, to to move towards something, to find a fullness that we almost intuitively know to be missing on some level, but mm. that we feel is kind of right there. It's attainable if we can connect to something mm. a little bit deeper, right? And I feel like in Tillich's own life, you know, he notoriously, notoriously, depending on who you ask, uh, practiced an open marriage with his wife, Hannah. Mm. And a lot of Christians, mm. I think, condemn him for this. And there's some, there's some controversy in that relationship. But, you know, I really... I really appreciate that about Tillich and about his wife, Hannah, because Tillich, I think, saw a fullness to be found in loving connection that he wanted to experience and a fullness to be mm. found that 
the bonds of monogamy uh, were limiting in his and Hannah's view, right? So, so he found a way to, in, I don't want to say Tillich embodies queerness in, you know, maybe the way that we're talking about, but there is something queer to the way that Tillich lived his own life. He said, I, these mm-hmm. kind of expectations are not, they're not capturing that for me. Um, mm-hmm. So, yes. yeah. Yes. Did you want to yes. add anything to that? Yeah, yes, yes. And I appreciate that, that, yeah, that, you know, and that really resonates with Patrick Chang's work is that, you know, love doesn't have to be confined um, to the structures that we've given to it in our societies, like, you know, monogamy, that, that actually this this deep well of love um, unites us in odd ways that don't have to align with our societies, which can and cannot be and can and cannot involve sexual interactions. And that that being a, a a unity of our, you know, of our beings together and that it, it, yeah, it, it doesn't necessarily fit within this monogamous structure. Um, And I think, you know, along with this conversation of ontology and queerness, um, we messaged a little bit about this on, um, on LinkedIn. So if I'm getting ahead of myself, let me know. Um, But that this part of the reason that this just hasn't been talked about is because when one talks about ontology in queer settings, it is almost always um, the negative approach. Um, when one thinks of ontology, it's oh, it's essentialism, right? Mm. Oh, that's they're they're talking about that there is a male essence and a female essence, um, and and so those you know that's that's bad. We have to do away with ontology altogether. Um, and so it's it's been a protection, um, you know, and with good reason of, OK, we're not going to engage in this because ontology has been used in an oppressive way. Um, but I think Tillich brings us into a different understanding of ontology. Um, and, and that's the exciting openness that I'm I'm looking forward to continuing to explore a bit. Yeah, I, that's a, an important point to explore. And you're right; it is a it's a it's a defensive mechanism and an understandable one at that, right? Because ontology, the study of being, metaphysics, these these this broad exploration of what is a human, it's too often radicalized or uh, not radicalized. It's mm. too often weaponized against queer people. Mm. Um, it's it's weaponized along racial lines as well, along ethnic lines. Um, mm. I mean, until like in mm. his own context, part of what motivated his theology was seeing how quickly. Uh, essentialized categories of what a good and bad person is can be weaponized, right? He came out of mm. Nazi Germany, um, had to flee, in fact, and saw, you know, how the, the the Jewish people in the academy that he taught at were treated. Um, so Tillich is not, you know, I think as you rightly are pointing to, Tillich is not unaware of how ontology can be used to hurt people mm-hmm. and harm people and keep people out of this realm of acceptance. And yet he still thinks there's something fundamentally human that we all share in, something you know deeper that we can uh, go to um, to fill our spirits, so to speak, right? Something essential about the human, but not essential in this very negative way. So I think it's it's great that you're trying to flush this out because I I think you know as a queer person that we need a, a good ontology to do ethics mm. to to make sense of our lives and what we are to make sense of even salvation, right? Um, how can we be healed if if we don't know what it is we need? We have to have a conception of what that is. So uh, very very interested to see where your work goes on that. Um, I think keep us keep us updated. 
All right. So next round for season two. I'm looking forward to it. I know season season two of Tillich today. Tillich tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we're getting close to our last last two questions here, and then I'm going to ask you for a book recommendation. But you've touched on this a bit, but let's just dive deeper into it. So how can Tillich's philosophy help in creating a more inclusive and accepting church for LGBTQIA plus individuals? Yeah, I think, you know, in what we've talked about so far and this openness of being, this deeper unity that that can can make folks who might seem different to the average Joe in a small town church it can help us understand that actually uh, queer folks are not that different from our folks in our small town churches, which isn't to say that queer folks aren't in those churches, but that that when we look at other people, we don't have to see differences. Instead, we, we could recognize that there is a deeper unity. And so that has helped me. And secondly, I think what Tillich does is, I, I think that he he his theology has a queerness to it that queerness is that that challenging of binaries and in theology tillich says that we have to have a critical principle that's constantly inviting us into self critique right that that nothing none of our claims can be absolute we can't say that we know for certain uh, what god is and how god operates that all of our claims have to be open to self critique um, and so in that way, um, and this is part of what I'm doing is saying, well, let's integrate queer theory into the systematic method to be that um, self-critique, to say, okay, all theology needs to constantly be challenging our, the, the use of sex and sexuality and gender uh, within theology, to constantly be opening them up to critique. You know, why do we use masculine pronouns for God in our liturgy? It needs to be self-critiqued. Why do we only have white male images of God in our sanctuaries? And so in, in that way, Tillich and has this very queer move um, in theology and invites all of us to say, okay, we need to be constantly reflecting on why we do what we do um, and how how our symbols have become idols and how we can constantly be challenging them so that they invite us um, into an ever more just and loving community. Now, come on, JJ, you can't possibly mean to tell me that Jesus was not as pale as you and me. <laughs> because every every uh, every photo I've ever seen or painting I've ever seen of Jesus, he's looked just like me. So that attests you know, I to think, it. I think I saw. I think he looks like that. You know, I think people in uh, you know Bethlehem looked exactly like <laughs> that. Blue eyes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They needed SPF eight hundred. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, no, I I think that's a, a beautiful answer and. Uh, very much speaks to this. I think also one of the things I like about Silicon about what you're doing both is the fact that you're communicating to people who may not share your perspective in a way that is inviting and open and very, very gracious, right? Because I think, you know, in my own context, I'm often having to, you know, communicate this message to people who are not on board with queer theology, who are not on board with queer participation, in the church. Mm. And it's, it's a real struggle. And so I just want to commend you for your ability to do that, right. Uh, to, um, 
refrain from the same kind of condemnation that may be justified, but that, you know, you're not extending to people in the same way that has been unfairly extending extended to you. So uh, applause uh, for that movement. Now, and this is kind of connected to this last point that I made, but how can Tillich's insights be applied to the struggles and triumphs of queer individuals in a religious context, but maybe outside of one? And I'll say what I'm thinking here uh, is particularly about his existential kind of thinking, his existential uh, turn, his feelings about finitude and despair. And as we've touched upon this lack of unity that we we seem to feel and want to overcome, I think it's, you know, very acute in the life of a queer person because we're made to feel, you know, disposable and unheard. And as, as you've kept saying, very much not a part of things for so long. So maybe say something to that. Mm. Yeah. And I, I like you, you said earlier, um, accepted and affirmation and, you know, for folks who maybe haven't encountered Tillich before, he also has a lot of sermons out there. And so one of his most famous sermons is you are accepted. Um, and it's this idea that at the end of the day, we exist and that's beautiful and and the fact that we exist um is a miracle it's we we come to this at the end of the day and say we accept ourselves um as being in spite of the very real fact that we could not be um and so the fact that we exist is something to celebrate and i think that you know for so many queer people uh for neurodivergent folks even just getting up in the morning can be a challenge. Um, and so to wake up and say, you know what, the very fact that I am here is an accomplishment. You know, I think for all of us who went through the pandemic, uh, it made that morning waking up and just being able to get out of bed, that that became a real accomplishment when we had, you know, many of us had nowhere else to go. And so just to be able to have that fundamental affirmation of life and say, you know, you exist and and that's tremendous. You exist and that's wonderful. Um, so there's that, that very real pastoral heart there. Um, and then on a theology level, you know, like we've been saying, you know, Tillich's theology invites us to constant self-critique, um, to say that churches are communities of love and justice and love is for Tillich the the reuniting of the estranged um and so how do we create communities where we experience reunion where parts of ourselves that we haven't reconciled even within ourselves um are able to be brought together in a healing and whole wholesome way um and how do we do that in communities i think um, a lot of, there's a lot of potential, you know, with, um, restorative justice, um, and, and having churches, um, really challenge ourselves to be places of reunion and reconciliation. So I think Tillich leaves us a lot of potential for just really holistic growth and community and relationships. Yeah, exactly. You put it perfectly. Um, you know, for my own part, I, I've, written quite a bit on Tillich's understanding of acceptance and graciousness in mm. Christianity. And I read grace as being very twofold for Tillich that, yeah, there's, there's that aspect of self-acceptance. There's um, accepting oneself and one's existence and seeing that as a miracle. And then there's the added element of, okay, you've done that. 
Now, what about your neighbor, right? What about the person that mm. also feels totally unaccepted? And that's what the church mm. community on my reading is is there to do in a certain sense that, you know, we need to accept mm. one another, that we we figured our way out or find our way to wholeness limping together, right? Helping mm. one another mm. get there. Um, so a very beautiful picture painted by Tillich. And you're right that his sermons... I, sometimes he doesn't get enough credit for what beautiful sermons he writes. Like his philosophy can be just almost impenetrable <laughs> when you first start out. And then you go to a, his sermon and you think, oh, my God, this is I'm going to cry right now. This, this is the, the most guy. This is really good. Yeah. yeah. Like this guy who was talking about technical reason and ontology and the ontological polarities is now you know, telling me you are accepted to your bones. Right. You're fine. Mm. You are loved. Mm. Um, mm. So just. God, what a tremendous, tremendous person. Well worth having a podcast of his own. So, <laughs> all right. So yes. I guess final, final, final question, wrap up, final thoughts. Um, obviously, this podcast is trying to attract people and is intended for people who may not be totally familiar with Tillich and may have never even read a book by Tillich. So if you were going to recommend a book to get someone started, uh, what would you recommend and why would it be volume two of the systematic theology? No, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> I don't start with that one, folks. <laughs> uh, what what kind of book recommendations do you have for people? Ooh, I'm, 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 I'm feeling rebellious. So I'm going to uh, offer a book recommendation, but first I'm, I feel like, I feel like we're, we could offer a, a reading guide, a, a reading, you know, a, a little map. If you haven't encountered Tillich before and you're like, yeah, these three volumes of the systematic theology seem really dense. Um, I, I would offer that something helpful. I, I sitting in BU uh, with um, Professor Nimi Boko, another great, um, and hearing him, uh, hearing him just at some points just kind of laugh um, at how Tillich's complex language actually can boil down to some really simple truths or some really simple concepts um, that if you're in the weeds and you're, you know, you're doing it, you want to read systematic theology, start with volume one and, you know, you're doing it. Keep in mind, I would say that these complex concepts really boil down to some pretty simple ideas, um, simple ideas about, um, he, he has a lot of complex language about God. At the end of the day, you're thinking, you know, Tilly's thinking about God in a very simple way, that God is not a being, but a ground of being. At the end of the day, theology is a story. And Tillich is giving us the tools to say, how have our stories become so concrete and so inflexible that they have, they no longer serve us. And in fact, they are oppressing us. And how can we engaging in the theological task, carefully open up these stories to new interpretations um, that, that center love and justice. And so if, if you're reading through Tillich and you're confused, I would say love and justice is at the center. God is not as complex as he'd like to say it is. Um, and that's, that, that's kind of the, the, the little map that I would provide at the beginning. Uh, you have anything to add? I feel like you've got some, some good thoughts on that, that would be helpful for a reading map. I mean, yeah, no, I would agree with that, that 
love and love and justice right he has a book called love power justice um one of his earlier books it's it's not the easiest text but it's relatively accessible considering you know the the other things that he's written but yeah i think you're absolutely right love and justice and, and even more specifically like love and for Tillich, mm-hmm. what's interesting about Tillich is he's not just talking about agape love or selfless love. Like he thinks every form of love has a kind of a unique power that contributes to our fullness. So erotic love even, right? Um, I think it fits into this conversation about queerness that like sexuality plays an important role in that eros. There's a creative vitality there um, when it's mm-hmm. when it's realized, I think, in a healthy, in a healthy and constructive way, right? We should put that out there that he's not saying mm-hmm. all types of uh interactions are e- are made equal right um but yeah mm-hmm. i think that's mm-hmm. i think it's the perfect map i think you can approach almost any text and if you think from the beginning oh he, he's saying something about love he's saying something about love mm-hmm. and its connection to the ground of all being then you're gonna be mm-hmm. in a better position um and I also wanted to ask if you could give some uh, some recommendations on people interested in getting into queer theology and maybe uh, say again the name of your own book for people who want to read that. Yeah, um, so I, I would definitely recommend Patrick Chang's book, uh, Radical Love, An Introduction to Queer Theology. Um, my book, Reclaiming Church, A Call to Action for Religious Rejects. I've got to have a punchy title in there, subtitle. Um and that really goes through the basics of um, dealing with the clobber passages for just one chapter, um, but then really analyzing how the whole concept of the church can be liberated, how tradition um, can be liberated and, and affirming of all life. Um, and then I, I'd also recommend, um, this one's kind of a, a dense book, but I think Melanie Harris's eco-womanism uh, is, it, it taught me a lot. Um, about spiritual activism and the relationship between spirituality and activism. So Melanie Harris's eco-womanism. Um, and, you know, I think uh, for Tillich, um, the forthcoming book from my PhD supervisor, Christian Dons, uh, we've been translating it into English. Um, and so it will be out hopefully next year with Mercer Press. And it's called Paul Tillich, um, concepts and key themes. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really, a, you know, as dense as German theology is, uh, it is also very methodical. And so it's just a very clear and methodical and concise overview of who influenced Tillich, where his thought kind of evolved from, um, and then also the challenge of, okay, what do we need to challenge within Tillich's own thought? Um for Tillich scholarship um, and thinking about Tillich and the world today. So that I would recommend that book coming out soon. Yeah, very excited about that book um, and all the work that's coming out of the Tillich Society surrounding, you know, translating Tillich's text. Mm. But I think you you mentioned something very interesting, which is that like we need to challenge Tillich as well. And the funny thing is this mm. is an ongoing joke among Tillichians is that there's not really a true Tillichian in the same way that there's a, a Thomas Aquinas scholar or a, a Karl Barth scholar, mm. like a Bardian or a Thomas, that Tillich people, Tillich pushes us so much to critique that we end up critiquing Tillich to the extent that we just create something new, right? Like, mm. so we have mm. this tradition that we're salvaging and at the same time, we're doing something that no one has seen with it. So it's it's a way mm. of, I guess, you know, polarities define Tillich's mm. theology in a lot of ways. And it's, there's this tension between the old and the new 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I love that. Mm-hmm. And I love that you've invited us all to, and especially, you know, queer folk that are listening to this, to not throw away the tradition that's important to them just because the authorities mm-hmm. who bear that tradition have not made room for them, right? Like that's all of our traditions. It's ours. It's not just somebody else's and it's ours to reclaim, as you've said. So thank you so much. Yes. Um, yes. Ah. And I, I would be remiss if I didn't name, I don't know, this didn't come to mind. You know, Methodism teaches us not to talk about ourselves too much, so um, the, which sometimes is to our peril. Um, coming out very soon, depending on when this podcast is out, um, is my next book. It's called Where Two or Three Are Connected. Um, and it it intertwines Tillich's theology uh, with United Methodist thought um, to create a techno-ecclesiology, a way of thinking about the church online and how the shift to online communication, especially during the pandemic, changes the very nature of the church itself and opens our communities to become more just. Um, And so that book, Where Two or Three Are Connected, will be out soon and draws extensively and explicitly from Tillich um, and Wesleyan thought. Great. Uh, yeah, looking forward to that. Looking forward to all the good things that you're doing and to, you know, our next North American Paul Tillich Society meeting, which, you know, and anyone listening who is in the academic sphere in, in seminary, uh, they should check that out. Should come trying to pump those whoop numbers whoop. up. Whoop, whoop. Um, all right. Well, thank you, JJ. It's been a blast talking to you. I think you've given us a lot to chew on and uh we'll we'll see you next time we'll see you for round two so this this has been Tillich today and we will see you Tillich tomorrow (laughs) (laughs) beautiful thank you thanks thanks for keeping Tillich alive with uh with good grace yes